Well, as we focus on peace this morning, my guess is that all of you would raise your hand and say, absolutely, I need some more of that. Whether it's relational struggles within family as you make plans for Christmas, or financial worry and wondering how in the world are you going to buy that gift for that coworker that bought you a gift and you weren't planning on them buying you a gift and now you got to figure something out and you got to afford it. Or maybe this Christmas season has just thrown you a curveball because of a diagnosis or a visit to the hospital or the concern of sickness. There's lots of reasons for us to be hurried and worried, rushed and stressed and anxious and depressed. As we close in on Christmas this next weekend. On November 28th, the end of last month, we filmed a two-minute testimony, video of our friend Susie after church, and she walked into church two weeks before that feeling stressed, anxious. She felt like, in her words, that she was going to break apart. Her body was also in a lot of pain as well, needing physical healing. So just let's Look at this two-minute testimony and listen to what God did for her. Um, so two weeks ago, um, I had come in to the church and I had just found out that my brother was arrested and I couldn't deal with my back anymore. There was so much stress on me, I felt like I could break at any second. And I asked... Um, for prayer and during the prayer I felt my worries leave me and I felt God's presence come into me I felt the Holy Spirit and all of the pain that had been in my back it dwindled down the pain in my knees left me the pain in my feet left me the worries of my brother and the worries of my family members left me and I could walk and I could do things that I couldn't do anymore. Um, every time that I was in my car, I had to lean my seat down because I couldn't stand up, I couldn't sit up straight. And now I could sit up straight and I could talk with my boyfriend and I could have a nice conversation with him as we drove. And it was super nice. Um, I didn't wake up with pain anymore. I. It was such a nice experience. I could go to work and I didn't have to worry that I was going to hurt my back even more. I could carry the things that I was asked to carry. And um, I just had a slight pain in my back. And today it, it all went away because we prayed once more. And I'm so very grateful to God for allowing this to happen to me for allowing that stress to go away and for letting me feel free. Thank you, God, for giving me the strength and for healing my back and for doing all these things that you have done for me. Pretty fun. So Susie walks into church, anxious, overwhelmed, her insides are being torn up and her outsides are hurting but she's lacking peace, and she's not alone in feeling this way. 
The statistics for anxiety and depression are off the charts in our society. That probably doesn't surprise you. Mental Health Foundation says that anxiety is a type of fear, and depression is often linked also with anxiety. They're kind of these weird twins. So take a look at this chart here. I'm not going to geek out on you too much, but um, you can see in 2020, predictably, people got more and more stressed and more anxious and more depressed. It just went from from 36%, then to then kind of dropped a little bit, and then up to 42%. A statistic, it's an, actually an old statistic for youth, 31.9% of young people 13 to 18 have an anxiety disorder. A half of young people ages 17 or 11 to 17 took the, the, an anxiety screening and they tested positive for severe anxiety. In, in 2020, 62% of respondents reported experiencing some degree of anxiety, 62%. Nearly half, 47%, experience anxiety regularly. So like Susie, maybe this is a familiar feeling to you. Maybe issues in your life that you have no control over, or maybe you have some control over, or you feel like you have control, although we know my counselor told me control is just an illusion. The only one who has control is God. But somehow there's this anxiety that seems to grip us. And yet, we're talking about peace this morning. Because this God of peace wants to visit us at this Christmas time. He wants to take his shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, the peace of God, the shalom peace of God. He wants to take that and destroy the chaos in our lives. God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. And so his peace then comes and makes war on the chaos that the enemy of our soul tries to bring. This kind of peace is restorative and healing. It makes you whole. This morning, as we talk about peace, just for a few minutes, we're gonna look at peace from God's perspective. We're gonna see that it is not the same peace that the world talks about. We're also going to look at Mark 5, which is this beautiful little passage about this woman who is need of healing and she receives healing, but she also receives the shalom peace, one and the same. We'll talk about that. I'm going to highlight three ways, three practical things for all you practical people, three ways that I believe that you can behave your way into receiving more peace from God. And finally, I just want to challenge you this morning to invite Jesus into each area of your life, the Prince of Peace, to bring a gift of his peace because he wants to deliver a gift to you this season, a gift of his shalom peace that destroys the chaos, that brings wholeness and healing. And this is what his government, his economy looks like. This is what Isaiah 9, 6 says, that his government, the government will be this, this Prince of Peace and it will have no end. So before we get too far, I love just punting to our buddies up in Portland who put together these little videos that we call the Bible Project. They do a great job explaining the biblical concept of shalom peace. Take a look. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. 
And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. All right, so there is peace from a biblical standpoint. Just a little nutshell form. There was an, a Scottish Baptist pastor who said this, Alexander McLaren, peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. It is not about the absence of war, conflict, or difficulty. It's about the person of Jesus being present in our life, bringing what he always brings, 
to every party, to every situation, and that is peace. So let's take a look at an example of how Jesus brings a gift of peace by turning in your Bibles to Mark 5. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can look up on your phone or we've got the verses here on the screen. Mark 5, verses 24 through 34. Now, the context is this. Context is what are all the things around this that might help us understand the meaning better? The context in this case is that Jesus has been asked by a synagogue ruler named Jairus. said, Jesus, I'm really desperate. Would you come and heal my daughter? She's dying. She's sick. And so that is the context. And verse 24, so Jesus went with him. With who? With Jairus. They're cruising over to the house so that he can heal this girl that's going to die. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. So this is an interruption for Jesus. When you read the Gospels, you will find that almost everything Jesus does is an interruption. Oftentimes when we have interruptions in our life, we think that they're all from the enemy of our soul or they must be all evil. But this is oftentimes where God works, where we've got to be sensitive and ready to love, to pray for, to minister, to give, to serve, whatever it looks like. And here's an interruption for Jesus. He could be ticked off and blow it off. He could pretend like this is not happening. But this is not Jesus' way. And by the way, Jesus is never in a hurry. Never. So it's crowded. There's, there's people are just trying to get close to Jesus. If you've ever been like, at a, at a, like outside the stage door of a play where, where someone who's famous comes out or like at a concert where everybody's trying to mob and, you know, touch the person or get their autograph or say hello to them or hug them or whatever. This is the idea. So we're introduced to this woman who's had this issue of blood, this issue of bleeding for 12 years. Let's learn more about her need and her situation. Next verse, verse 26. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. So she's bleeding for 12 years. I think it's probably safe to say she's probably severely anemic. She has very little energy. She's barely surviving. She suffered a great deal, the this, this scriptures say. So there must be some pain, some discomfort, some real physical need here. So she's got a physical need. She also has a financial need because as you look at this verse, you see she sold everything she had, all of her furniture. She ran up the credit cards, if you will. I mean, she's like, what is it that I can do? I'll do anything. I'm desperate. And now she may have been just resorted to begging because that was the social welfare system of the day in that culture, that you would beg then for your food. So she has a physical need. She has a financial need. She also has a social need. Why do I say that? Well, because if you were bleeding like this, according to Leviticus 15, women had to wait seven days after their bleeding stopped before they were permitted to offer sacrifices, go to the temple, be in relationships. So for over a decade, she's been out on the outside looking in, being very limited in her contact with people. Now, this is kind of strange in our cultural context, but in that cultural context, 
This had a very big social stigma to it. So she was just barely better off than a leper. She has a physical need. She has a financial need. She has a social need. She also has a spiritual need. Why? Because people of her day viewed you, if you had a sickness like this or a physical issue, that you were cursed by God. There must have been some sin in your life that caused this physical issue. We see this in John 9, where the man who is born blind is healed. And then the disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sins or his parents' sins? The disciples were carrying the logic of the day. That if you had an issue in your physical body, then you must have done something wrong. This is the same issue, by the way, that Job has with his friends back in the Old Testament. So you've got a physical need, a financial need, a social need, and a spiritual need. That sounds like us. I don't know about you, but I have needs in all those areas. And I need a touch from God. I need healing from God in almost every area of my life. And I'm a broken person. We are all broken people moving toward healing and wholeness and this shalom of God. And yet this woman, she is desperate. She is, she is resorted to something that would almost be kind of illegal in this social setting. I think desperation coincides with anxiety. I'll try anything. I'll sell my stuff. Whatever it takes to get breakthrough. But I wonder also if there's also a defeated nature to her as well. A resignation that this is never going to change. I've tried everything. And that's the depression side. So she's got the, I think she's carrying the anxiety. I think she's carrying the depression. Sounds like 2020, 2021. Sounds like where we're at as a culture. So what happens? Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she's hearing the stories. Jesus is around. He's doing all kinds of things. When she heard about Jesus, verse 27 says, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Actually, the hem of his garment, the zitzit on his prayer shawl, the little tassels. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. So here's this desperate woman. I'm arguing that she's probably suffering with anxiety. She's going to be found out. She's going to get in trouble. And depression because this is, she's just, she has no other way. But she hears about Jesus. She hears the stories and thinks, well, maybe, maybe if those people got healed, maybe I could get healed. And hearing is interesting. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing the message. The message is heard through the word of Christ. So he, she hears first. And then she starts believing that maybe Jesus and hoping, the hearing kind of starts turning to hoping, maybe, just maybe that could happen for me. And literally this, these verses, when I dug in there with my Greek nerdy glasses and, and looked at it, it's, it's like if, and if, it's like two words for if, right next to each other, like if, if, if. And it's literally, it means to say to yourself, She's saying to herself, if, if only, if I could just, and she's, you, you can imagine, she's saying it out loud. That's what the word says. And she's coaching herself, if, if, if I could just only, if I, she's just trying to give herself enough strength and enough courage to get there and just touch, if I can just touch him, somehow maybe I'll be healed. Now, why does she think that if she touches him, she'll be healed? 
Where does this come from? Mark 3, verse 10, we're told Jesus had healed many people that day. So all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. So this is a thing that's going on. Mark 6, the chapter after this, this becomes a thing, by the way, after she gets healed. This becomes such a thing. Take a look at Mark 6 real quick. They ran throughout the whole region. Can you see these people like running with their friends? They're sick. And carried the sick on mats wherever they heard he, Jesus, was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or the countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces right out there in front. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. So it became a thing, right? All of a sudden, somebody else got healed like this. I, I think if it's true for them, I'm going to do the same thing. So where is this all coming from? Well, when you dig into the history, you find that there's a lot of superstition involved. There's a lot of superstition even in the non-Jewish world. People believed that rulers or people of authority had power to bless those who touched them. For example, Alexander the Great was often mobbed by crowds to try to touch his clothes, his hands, or his feet in hopes that they would be blessed by his power. Now you and I go, really? Alexander Great's not going to give you anything, except for maybe march you off a cliff somewhere. This is kind of like rubbing a lucky rabbit's foot, right? There's superstition in it. And yet, we learn from Matthew 8 that the centurion, when he comes to Jesus, says, you don't even have to go and try to heal my child or my servant. You can just say the word and he'll be healed. So Jesus doesn't have to touch anyone. And it's interesting that, so this woman doesn't have all the right theology, right? She hasn't figured it all out. She's kind of mixed up with superstition and everything else. But Jesus doesn't go, well, you're not getting healed because you can't, uh, you know, answer all the right answers on the Scantron about who God is. So, eh, sorry. It's interesting that God doesn't wait for us to like have everything figured out before he encounters us or before he releases his power in healing in any way in your life. I'm really thankful for that. I'm thankful that I can be in process and God will walk with me and you and help us. And I love how Mark is writing about this. He's, and Jesus doesn't make any judgment about the fact that she does something what we would think is very superstitious. So his, her hearing becomes hoping and that ends in a healing. I know it's kind of cheesy, but it's really true. So verse 29 Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. She knew what this, looked like, this was like for 12 years. All of a sudden, things are different. There's no pain. There's no bleeding. Immediate miracles are really fun. Last week, if you were here in the house, and you stuck around for prayer, and you were here for maybe an extra 10 or so minutes... We actually grabbed a microphone and we turned the lights back on and we gave a testimony about my friend Ed. And he's down, he has come down here for prayer and his shoulder has been throbbing the whole service long. And so he comes down for prayer and he's standing here with Pastor Carlos from Cristo Salva. And I'm standing over here, I don't know, talking to y'all or praying for you or we were doing stuff. And all of a sudden, Eddie gets done getting prayed for 
And he turns around, and I'm standing right there. I go, hey, Ed, how's it going? He goes, I don't know. Said, what do you mean you don't know? I don't know. I don't know what just happened to me. I said, well, describe it. He said, I, I, I just, I, 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 the shoulder was just throbbing the whole service. And then I came up and, and got prayed for, and it's like the pain's gone. The pain's gone? Yeah. And he's doing this thing, right? I'm like, is the y- YMCA? What is that thing? And he's like, he's just dumbfounded. He's like, he, he, he's never experienced anything like this before. Maybe you haven't either. But I'm here to tell you when you experience that, it will, it will wreck your paradigm. All of a sudden you're like, well, wait a second. Now I got to rethink a bunch of stuff now. So we pulled him up and he shared a quick testimony. If those of you who are, some, some of you were still in the house here. It's kind of a advertisement for staying late to church, right? You never know what could God, God could do. So immediate miracles are really, really fun. What I've noticed is God also likes to heal over time. And I think he wants to do that because he wants you to keep seeking him for it. And so more people that I've prayed for have been healed over, the, over two hours or 24 hours or two days than immediately. But I've seen both. And it, all of them are great because it's God loving us in that way. So whatever's happening to this woman, this is really dramatic and really great. And it's clear that he, she's whole and she's no longer suffering. What happens? Verse 30. At once. That's one of Mark's favorite phrases. Immediately, 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 immediately. Like, he's just a man of action, by the way. It's probably Peter who is supplying Mark with his material for his gospel. That's what most people believe. We don't know, but I think those dudes were buds. And Peter's definitely an immediately guy. He's not, he's not waiting around to develop anything. Immediately, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. Uh, and yet you ask, Who touched me? What's going on here? So hearing led to hoping. And hoping led to healing. And now this woman is tempted to do hiding. After all, she's ceremoniously ceremonially unclean. She's taking a great risk. She's sneaking up to Jesus, just touching the edge of his thing, hoping that she's going to get healed. And this verb to crowd, crowd around, is to like compress or to jam together. So I found a couple pictures, one of the United States and one of Brazil. And um, this is what crammed together looks like, right? There is no space. I also found some of the subway in Japan where literally people are smashed up against the windows like this. They're crammed together. This is the context. Everybody wants to get a piece of Jesus and touch him. Why? Because they think they're going to get healed if they do. So the power for healing leaves Jesus. And let me just say, it's personal with Jesus. If this is not an impersonal force that just like, you know, he just walks by and like people get healed randomly and he doesn't know, it, but know about it. It's personal. Why? Because he's a personal God. This is his character. So Jesus asked the question, who touched me? But he knows who touched him already. This is a rhetorical question like God when Adam and Eve sin and they're in the garden and God goes, where are you? God hasn't lost them. He knows exactly where they are. But what he's doing in both of those situations in the garden and here is giving these humans an opportunity to come forward themselves, to take initiative, to seek him, to move toward him. If we take a step toward God, he'll always take a step toward us. 
Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James 4, 8. So, next verse, let's take a look. What, what happens here? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. This is like your teacher in school who's like, I'll just wait. I'll, we'll wait. Who touched me? We'll wait. Then this, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she's aware, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Do you ever read the Bible out loud? It's a really, 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 really good thing. Here's why. Because I was reading this out loud and um, this last verse, let me go back to it here real quick. I was reading this last verse. At once Jesus realized the power had gone out of him. He turned around at the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Or did he say, who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? What kind of inflection did Jesus have? When I first read this passage, Jesus had the inflection of a ticked off teacher. In third grade, I had a really good third grade teacher, by the way, just for the record, just in case she's listening. It's interesting when we read the Bible out loud and we add our own inflection that it helps us understand our view of God. And somewhere inside me is a, just a, there's a little boy in there that sometimes sees God as an overbearing father who's going to be disappointed with him. Not all the time, but just every once in a while. And reading this out loud, it occurred to me. I need a gift of God's love. I need to be reminded again that I'm his loved son. By the way, that's where the passage is going to go in a second. It's really awesome. But I want to challenge you as you read your Bible to pay attention to the tone of voice that you give to Jesus, to the disciples, or any of these, these people. Well, that was an aha moment for me. So, if you imagined a ticked off, bothered Jesus who's ready to punish whoever did this to him, you would be wrong because that's not in his nature and character. I think Jesus, this is what I'm imagining happens, stops the crowd. He puts his hands up and everybody goes, Wah! and he quiets everyone down. It's just, you can hear a pin drop, which is exactly the opposite of what it was probably just right before that. And he says, who touched me? Who touched me? Where are you? Just like God the Father in the garden. I don't think he was like, where are you at? I think God in the garden's like, where are you? Adam and Eve, I love you. I want to be with you. Someday I'll be Emmanuel, God with us. Send my son. Where are you? I think he's saying, where are you? Sweet woman. This woman is trembling when she comes forward because she's unclean. She knows she's broken the spiritual and the social rules. And she falls at his feet in humility and gratitude. And I think Jesus draws her out 
so that her story will be told for thousands of years. I'm so glad that he stopped. She's a picture of what growing faith looks like. And here's what he says to her in verse 34. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He calls her daughter. It's a family tender name. Not woman, which would be like ma'am in their culture. Shalom breaks the mindset of the orphan. It breaks the mindset of the anxious and the depressed. And her faith has gone past past just Jesus as her healer. She's stepping into a place as a child of God and he's her savior. John 1.12 says, To all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And this faith that has made it her well is sozo, this complete healing kind of word. Oftentimes, faith that is connected to salvation. It's the same phrase that Jesus uses with a prostitute that is washing Jesus' feet with her tears in Luke 7. And he says the same thing to her. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's the same in the Greek. So while Jesus healed a lot of people who didn't have any faith at all, and he just showed his grace and his mercy, his love for them by healing them. In this case, there was great faith that was born in her life. First, because she heard, then she hoped, then she stepped into a place of faith and she was healed. So there is this peace then. He says, go in peace, go in shalom. You have now been made whole. Now she's going to be able to connect with her family socially, which will probably mean she can also work now again and her financial situation will come together. We know her physical needs have been met and now she can worship in the synagogue. She has been completely healed and pulled into a place of wholeness, into a place of shalom. Now Jesus tells his disciples in John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Everywhere Jesus goes, he always brings a gift of peace. Isaiah 9 prophesies this prince of peace and the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. It just keeps on flowing from him. Mark 4 verse 37, Jesus is on the sea and the sea is stormy and he says, peace be still. He speaks peace, he brings a gift of peace. And completely stills the storm, calms the storm. So here's where I've landed. When Jesus enters a room in the home of our hearts, he always brings a gift of peace. So the pressing question would be, what rooms in your life, in your heart, have you opened up to him? Because if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've surrendered to him, you've answered and you've opened the door and he's come in. You've invited him into the home of your heart, but how much access have you really given Jesus? I think 
oftentimes we say, Jesus, you can hang out here in the living room, but I don't want you anywhere in the rest of my life because I got that all squared away and I don't want you to change anything. And yet he's so kind. It's his kindness that leads us to changing our minds, our repentance. And he says, hey, uh, about that closet back there and that stuff, can I, can I take a look at that? Can we talk about that? No, Jesus, I don't want you to. Okay, all right, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, about that closet. Are you sure you're ready now? I mean, there's like sewage coming out from underneath it. I mean, like, I think maybe we could take a look at it. No, no, Jesus, no, I don't want. It's going to make me look really bad. I got to figure it out first. But I'm willing to help you. So three quick ideas on how you could step into peace this Christmas season. Because this could be really like, oh, this is not a nice message. Oh, bless his heart. You can go to lunch, right? Three things. How do we receive this peace that Jesus says he gives? First is to abide in his love. Abiding in his love. John 15. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says. Verse 9. So I have loved you. So remain in my love. If you obey my commands, then you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. In John 16, he actually finishes this section with this verse. I've told you these things so that you, that, that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You do some abiding in his love. You will receive peace. Now, here's the rest of the quote from my Scottish theologian friend from the 1800s. The true peace comes not only from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. I read that part to you. Here's the rest. And will be deep and passing all understanding in the exact measure in which we live in and partake of the love of God. In other words, however much love you're receiving is how much peace you're going to live in. That means you got to go after the love of the Father. you got to go after receiving God's love and realizing you are a son. You are a daughter. You're not a slave. You're not an employee of God. So abiding in his love. Secondly, growing in faith. And by faith, I don't mean just intellectual believing in something, but faith meaning trust in the New Testament. I'm going to take you back to the Old Testament to Isaiah 26. You're not having fun until you make sure you get an Old Testament scripture in there. Isaiah 26 verse 3, you keep him in perfect peace, who? Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. There's something about as we grow in our faith and believing who God is and believing he is who he says he is and he does what he says he's going to do, that all of a sudden our peace level grows, right? Whatever you focus on grows large in you. You focus on your problems, they will, be, they will get giant. Anybody ever overthink anything? Are there any overthinkers out there? Oh man, I talk to you guys all the time in my office. It's great. And sometimes I join you. You just begin to just work your way into the ground like a corkscrew. Thinking of all the things that could be wrong. Instead of focusing on God and saying, okay, God, here's the problem. But I'm going to focus on you. As I focus on you, what's true about you will grow large in my eyes. And these things will begin to take their proper place. It doesn't mean you don't have problems. By the way, you will have problems in this world. 
but take heart. I've overcome the world. That's what that last verse said. So growing in faith, working on this, this trusting God more, your peace level goes up. Last thing. This is the best one. I love this one. Prayer with thanksgiving. You need peace? You got to pray and start thanking God. Just start, just start making a list. Thanksgiving is your secret weapon. I will tell you over and over and over, it is part of the legacy I will live, leave in your life. This is one of God's keys that has been lost and needs to be found. Philippians 4, if you were in boot camp, you memorized this scripture. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God and what's the result? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it's better than you could even imagine, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace will go to your emotions and your thought life. And I need both. It is so simple, we completely miss it. We sit there in our car stressing out and God's like, I'm right here. You just want to start thanking me. It's, everything's going to shift. I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to give you peace. But you, you have to make a decision to focus your eyes on Jesus. So, easy to say, harder to do. I'm working on a series for after the first of the year, which I'm really excited about. I've just completed a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I'm working on other books and listening to podcasts and different things. And I'm really looking at God's word to see what are the rhythms that we need to live in so that we can have life to the fullest. Because frankly, I don't know about you, but my rhythms aren't so good right now. And I, I'm starting to learn some things that I'm really, really excited about sharing. And I promise you it will challenge you because you will find out that the things you've been focused on are probably the wrong things. What if I told you that if you began to do God's life his way, you would be more present with the person in front of you, that all your relationships would get better, that you would have and you can have more peace. Part of it has to do with, you know, little things like these three suggestions, which are good suggestions, by the way. I'm not putting down these three application points but there's so much more in spiritual disciplines and understanding how God created us, honoring our bodies, time, our sleep, and our rhythms so that we actually begin to live the life that God's called us to. I'm really excited about it. Can't wait. I'm just kind of preaching from now until long time from now. So you're stuck with me. It's great. It's fun. So what's your take home? Well, your take home is, glad you asked, we printed up some little cards, and I don't have one right here, but yeah, why don't you hand that to me? Great. We'll do show and tell. And um, this is a picture of the dove that appears in our stained glass window in our chapel here. We have several symbols in this stained glass piece that the Gizlons lovingly um, created for us some years ago. One is a Bible, because we are fiercely committed to making sure we're biblical and holding on to biblical truth and dividing God's true truth um, well and rightly. But the other thing we want is 
the freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit and his gifts moving and working with us. Those two things in balance, working together. But this also represents for me peace and that sense of wholeness. And so maybe you need to put this in your car, tape it on your dashboard to remind you that God's peace can, you can invite God's peace into your driving. And some of you around this Christmas season, you need to do that. This needs to be in your car. Some of you need to put this on your mirror in your bathroom because that's where you have a hard time with your mind spinning out on all of your problems. Or maybe at work. Maybe this needs to be on your work, in your workstation to remind you that if you invite Jesus into your work life, into that room of your life, he will bring his peace. You don't have to do work on your own. Jesus is going with you. He just wants to be included. Maybe it needs to be next to your calendar. Because when you look at your calendar, you get really stressed out because you notice all, a lot of the squares are filled in and you don't know how you're going to do it all. Maybe it needs to be next to where you pay your bills. Because paying bills is not a very peaceful thing. And you're like, Jesus, how am I going to do this? I promise that whenever Jesus enters a room of your heart, he will always bring peace. If you invite him, he will always bring peace. Always, always, always. Every time. He's just waiting to deliver. He's got like the, you know, the UPS truck full of peace for you to deliver. But it's up to you to invite him into those places. So if you'd stand, if you're here in the house, I'd love to pray for us that we could truly step into this kind of peace. This wouldn't just be a concept for like, oh, they talk about that at church once a year. Isn't that nice? But like we're really willing to step into a place of believing God. And besides peace, some of you really need a breakthrough. That's my sense. So in fact, prayer to folks, if you'd come down now, now that everybody stand, stood up, prayer folks, if you'd come down forward, we want to pray for you. You heard testimonies of miracles today. You heard how God comes through and has come through even in this place after church. There's nothing special about after church prayer, but it's prayer and it's available. So we want you to take advantage of it. And um, I really believe that every single person that I pray with, maybe they don't get the physical immediate healing that we want, but I don't know that I've ever prayed with someone who doesn't walk away saying, but I feel like God is with me. I feel peace. I believe that God's peace comes first. Physical stuff almost comes second. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that your peace is so much better than what the world has to offer. I pray that you would soften our hearts up so that we would invite you into new places of our lives. Thank you that you always bring a gift of peace to those places. So bless your people as we launch toward Christmas. May our hearts be tender and soft toward you. May we be present with the person across from us. May you help us to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life so that we could be fully present with you, and fully present with others. I bless this family in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks so much for coming. We will see you on Christmas Eve Eve right here.